What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode two of the Capitol Hill podcast. We're on Super Bowl Eve, NFL Honors tonight. Um, ready to watch some football relax, all for the big game. Uh, Chris, how are you feeling about Super Bowl tomorrow? Oh, man, I'm excited. Been been a long time coming. You know, it's terrible as the season has been for the Redskins. Finally, have something to look forward to. I think I'm going to get on the Chiefs bandwagon for this one. Yeah, I, I think Vegas is actually starting to lean towards the Chiefs as well. I just – I don't really know how that offense is going to show up and, and click. And I don't know, man. I just think the 49ers are just firing all cylinders right now, and I feel like they're going to be the better team on Sunday. But you can never count out Patrick Mahomes, man. I'm honestly surprised he didn't win MVP tonight. I mean, congrats to Lamar. Great season. But, you know, just the, the way the Chiefs finished out, you know, dropping 51 against Houston and then coming in and beating the Titans who beat a couple really good teams on the road has definitely been impressive. So, But yeah, actually, I, I did hear that – um. I think Patrick Mahomes is one of the first players in NFL history uh, to win MVP and go to a Super Bowl in, like, his first two to three seasons. And I think he's the first one in recent years to beat the Madden curse. I mean, Antonio Brown, am I right? You know, people don't talk about Calvin Johnson, who also beat the uh, Madden curse. That's another name that I like to throw out there. Yeah, but about Patrick Mahomes and the whole MVP race, man, I think the fact that him not being healthy the whole season, you know, and just the fact that Lamar went off. I mean, you know, you kind of thought Patrick Mahomes had a shot. In my mind, in my book, man, Lamar just – he went off, and I don't think there, – there's no doubt in my mind he should have been unanimous, and I'm kind of glad he was. Oh, yeah, I am too, and, and believe me, we got we'll have plenty to talk about in a little while in regards to NFL honors. But um, we got some uh, new headlines. We got some old faces in new places. Um, recently, Jay Gruden was hired by the Jacksonville Jaguars as their new offensive coordinator. Uh, some, of you may do, some of you may know Jay Gruden after his 0-5 start to the 2019 season. Um, he was finally fired after six years of ineptitude for the Washington Redskins as their head coach. Um, you can hear a lot of people, including the Jacksonville Jaguars themselves, piggy bank off of the, you know, semi-success he had in Cincinnati where he had three consecutive postseason bursts um, from, I think it was 2011 to 2013. I've always thought he was a better coordinator than coach, so, I mean, good for him. What are your thoughts overall on uh, him landing in Jacksonville? You know, when I first saw this news right off the bat, I kind of put myself in the Jaguars fans' position, and I just thought, like, man, how can you, you know, be optimistic about this? How can you look forward to this? Just because he hasn't done anything in Washington. Um, but kind of looking back on it, kind of, you know, doing a little research on it and stuff, I think he really could succeed in this position. You know, I know you said they might be pulling out the whole years in Cincinnati with Andy Dalton and stuff, but I think that really did lay a baseline for him and showed what he could do as a coordinator. I, I don't think he is head coach material. I think that he proved that in Washington, but taking a step down to OC, I still think he could succeed, especially with, you know, a Nick Foles or Gardner Minshew, even though they have different, you know, talent capacities, I think he can work well with those two players and and create that success he had in Cincinnati again. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, 2016 was definitely, you know, Jay's best season. And he had some success here with Kirk. And, you know, he definitely had he, – he, he definitely added to his resume here in Washington. But I, I'd say overall, grand scheme of things, he, he definitely struggled a little bit as well. But uh, knowing him, will probably uh, sign Colt McCoy and Chris Thompson, and they'll be his duo in the backfield. <laughs> yeah, Colt, Colt resurrected again from the dead. He'll be the starter in Jacksonville week one. Y'all watch it. <laughs> Y'all heard it here first. Yeah, thanks. I mean, honestly, all I remember Jay for is the dysfunction, to be honest. I mean, I, I felt like he made the culture worse. If anything, he just added fuel to the fire. I mean, I mean, the dude was like, after every season, he was like, you know, I'm just hoping that I can show up and my key card still works. Um, yeah, but the thing is, is, he won't be in that position anymore in Jacksonville. Yeah. So I think he – is going to have to fall under the regimen and the culture that they have now, and he's not going to be in that position where he can go smoke doobies on a you know sidewalk. Cheating on his wife. Yeah, <laughs> we actually had a. Uh, I don't know if it was you or me. We did a uh, 
polling page, uh, did we, uh, I, I think it said something like, um, do you contribute the, what happened in Washington as Jay's fault or not Jay's fault? And actually 56% of people thought it was Jay's fault. 44% said not so much. So yeah, it, was, it was a lot closer than I thought. I, really I was about to say the same be, exact thing. Be at his neck, but no, we had some Jay, some Jay Gruden fans in the, in the audience. So yeah, hey. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people standing pretty hard. I mean, you know, good for them, I guess. I mean, I, I, I just, like I said, he's a way better coordinator than he is a coach. Um, you know, he brought he, he brought ping pong tables to our locker room, and I know some players will be forever grateful for that. But, I mean, one of the big things that, that was really my biggest pet peeve with Jay was just all the injuries that we racked up during his time here. I mean, we had just extremely soft practices. And uh, I actually read uh, Philadelphia head coach Doug Pedersen's book recently where he talked about, you know, if you don't condition yourself to – contact on a normal basis your, your entire team is going to get hurt and I feel like that's a big reason why a lot of our players couldn't stay on the field is that Jay didn't really make these guys practice hard he just kind of went through the motions didn't really hold many people accountable he really wasn't a leader of men and to that that's really where I see Ron Rivera as a huge upgrade for sure and you know other things that I kind of think of my brain stems to when I think of Jay Gruden is just the dysfunction with RG3 how he kind of changed the offense around Robert kind of chased him out of town I think the biggest thing that I'll always despise him for is, is letting Alfred Morris go and bringing in Matt Jones, who isn't even in the National Football League anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, definitely made a lot of questionable calls along the way. And I don't know if you can pin the injuries on him. I mean, we weren't at practice every day. We weren't at OTAs. Maybe caught a couple of training camp sessions in Richmond. But, you know, you do see the stat line match up, though. You know, the n- amount of injuries under Jay Gruden's tenure in Washington, that's where the majority of them came from. So, of course, yeah, you have to condition, you have to work hard in order to avoid those injuries. But, of course, then we got rid of, um, you know, Larry Hess out of the training um, facility. So, you don't know if, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's Snyder felt like he was partially. Person. It's very yeah. dependent on one, on one person. And I will say that while I was at training camp, one guy that did make a huge impression on me and also has got a new gig is uh, Bill Callahan. Uh, he came over from Dallas a couple years ago after forming their offensive line into an absolute juggernaut. And uh, he unfortunately got put in a pretty bad spot this year, taking over for Gruden being our interim head coach. Um, the Browns picked him up, also, and he's returned to his roots as an offensive line coach. I'm happy for him. I mean, you know, like I said, he turned Dallas into an elite unit. Uh, he turned around Eric Flowers' career. You know, to me, I mean, he, he definitely came in and, and conditioned our offensive line. And, and, and he left them a lot better than, you know, they were when he came in, that's for sure. Yeah, I think uh, Callahan, he's hard to hate, man. He – um. I feel like, you know, although he didn't have much success, he did give us our, our wins on the season, our only wins. So, you know, I think that's one reason fans might have an attach, attachment to him. But, um, no, I love Callahan, and I think he was one of those guys that's just hard to hate. Um, he was put in a really tough situation. I would have loved an opportunity to see him back in Washington, but I know that's really tough, you know, with the whole Dwayne situation. Who is he going to go running to, um, you know, when adversity arises? And I know I know it's just really rare for an interim head coach to take the step down back to their previous position. But it it's sad to see him go. But um, I, as well as I think all Redskins fans, wish him the best in his new gig. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, props is to fancy for going out and getting a guy who really holds people accountable. You know, Bill doesn't play any games, man. He came in and, and, and you know, like we talked about last week, he made the guys work immediately after Jay left and he was really strict. So I feel like that's definitely good to add in any locker room, and I, I wish Bill the best, truly. Really. I mean, I feel like he came in and, and made the best out of a pretty bad situation. You can't really fault Ron for wanting to bring in people that aren't really affiliated with the horrible things that happened here last season. Everybody in the organization wants to burn it out of their mind as soon as possible, and it's good to see all these old guys, you know, you know, get a job. I, I'm happy for them, so.
Yeah, and and also on Callahan, not only is he a great guy and he, you know, he's all into the hard work mentality and um, the success he's had and everything, but th- this Browns team needs a guy like this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think all the the hype, the all the headlines hit Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, you know, this is the problem. This is why they're struggling. I mean, the Browns gave up 41 sacks last year. That and and I feel like that's something that gets lost in the fray a lot. You're gonna hear a lot of people pin it on Kitchens. You're gonna hear a lot of people say it was Baker's fault, Odell Jarvis. It's it's a big blame game. But I, I more significantly, when I watched them play the Niners and I watched them play the Rams, Baker was getting hit at just an abysmal rate. And I mean, you can honestly trace it back to as far as when they traded Kevin Zeiler to New York in the offseason. There, uh, actually, last year uh, they were second overall in offensive line rankings in the PFF, and they dropped all the way to 23 this season. So they definitely need to improve in that category. And I feel like Bill's going to come in and help them do that immediately. Yeah, and I don't even think it's a personnel issue per se. I think it's just a, a scheme and a technique thing because, you know, although they did really suffer in their, you know, their pass protection, Nick Chubb ran for over 1,500 yards. They, they rushed for an average of 4.8 yards a carry in, you know, this past season. And, I mean, even their, you know, guard, uh, Joel Petonio, he got named to the Pro Bowl as an alternate. So, I mean, they have the pieces there, and I think the league sees that. And, you know, everyone sees they have the pieces there. I mean, damn, they had a rush game for sure. But the 41 sacks is just kind of like that's pushing the point where – and, like, that didn't even consider, you know, quarterback hits and, and pressures and everything. So that's something they really have to clean up. And I think, you know, Bill Callahan will be a really good fit. And I think uh, Cleveland got a steal. You know, they, they stole him from the league, and I think he's going he's gonna to do really well. Yeah, I mean, un- unlike Jay, I don't really think this dampers – I don't think what happened in Washington dampers Bill Callahan. I think he does nothing but help him in the grand scheme of things. But heard you mention in the Pro Bowl, and uh, something else we need to talk about, we did a little bit of a poll on the page in regards to, you know, Quinn Dunbar, who a lot of people feel like was snubbed from the Pro Bowl. But – uh. When we did the when we did the poll on the page, we actually saw that you know everybody was kind of down the middle on that. It was kind of surprising. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people replied and um, kind of had mixed feelings about it, but they definitely spurred. You definitely uh, got them sparked up with some conversation. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but even Quinn Dunbar himself retweeted the post, so that was pretty neat. Yeah, shout out I would Quinn love Dunbar. to hear com- <laughs> I would love to hear him comment on it himself. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of going back and forth, and I think everyone made really good points. I mean. Dunbar did have four picks and eight passes defended on the season along with, you know, about 40 tackles, and he only played 11 games. I think that's the part that really, you know, haltered him in his Pro Bowl selection is he, he was just out too much. You know, even though he did show up in the games he played. But, but not even an alternate? Enough. But he's not even an alternate? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, guys like Xavier Rose and Darius Slayer are – you know, starters, and you're telling me Quentin Dunbar, who's the number one ranked corner in the NFL and the PFF, you know, had higher scores than Stephon Gilmore, who won Defensive Player of the Year tonight, Marcus Peters, Richard Sherman, who's playing in the Super Bowl. I mean, you're telling me that a guy like that doesn't deserve to go to Hawaii. That's just kind of hard for anybody to swallow, and I could certainly understand why that frustrates him, especially since, you know, he had a position change, and, you know, he's had to, he's had to claw his way where he is now, and for him to feel like he's not getting any respect for it, I honestly can't fault him for that, so. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. Um, according to my research, he had an 87.6 PFF, which, you know, ranks, you know, top tier of the league for sure. And he also only allowed a 56.9 quarterback passer rating, which was the sixth lowest among all DBs in the NFL. So you, could, mean, definitely yeah. make an, you could definitely make an argument for him statistically. Um, I know we all probably have a little bias towards him just because he's kind of our guy. He's been this team for a while. He's kind of got that feel-good story coming from a wide receiver. You know, kind of struggling his first couple of years, but really, you know, taking control of this defense after the last few seasons. Um, but I checked out a few um, 
you know, NFL analyst uh, rankings on their top corners in the league of the 2019 season and even ran across one D'Angelo Hall who ranked his top 10 and Quentin Dunbar did not touch that list. That's honestly very surprising. I mean, I, I will say, you know, Hall has been very cynical of the Redskins and the national media, and it's pretty well documented. But, I mean, like you said, I think the biggest thing that hurt him was that he didn't play the whole season. And, you know, he, his interception numbers weren't exactly astounding. But, I mean, also just there's a body of work there. And, and to me, it's just that he's outperforming Josh Norman, who's the highest-paid corner in the NFL. You know, for him to just come in and absolutely, you know, completely outshine a guy of that pedigree, I feel like it deserves – you know, to be noted, but you know, hopefully he'll get it next year. I, I, well, hate, I, mean, I hate to see it for that guy. I mean, everyone's outperforming Norman at this point, so <laughs> yeah, you can't I mean, make that comparison. Yeah, where Dunbar's at the top of every statistic, Norman's literally at the top of every bad statistic. So, But um, here recently, uh, we had the Senior Bowl, and uh, one of the definitely one of the shining stars of that entire event was K.J. Hill, um, the uh, wide receiver for Ohio State, um, form, played with uh, former Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins. Um, Dwayne heavily trying to heavily recruit him on social media um he, he tweeted at kj after kj made a pretty sick um one-handed catch in the senior bowl um you know i i feel like adding kj would be a pretty big acquisition for the offense i feel like a lot of people did make light of um terry mclaurin last season when uh, he got drafted everybody thought he was going to be a gunner special teams guy and he came in third rounder and absolutely balled out i think kj can honestly replicate that because uh when he played with Dwayne in his uh Dwayne's senior season at OSU, um, he had seven receptions for 885 yards and six touchdowns. Um, he's not a highly coveted prospect, um, but, I mean, where you're taking in the draft is honestly kind of irrelevant, to be honest. I mean, like I said, Terry proved that. Um, I think KJ could probably be there in about third or fourth round. Um, he's more of a speed guy, um, and you could say we really don't need a speed guy since we have Sims right now, but, I mean, would you target Hill, or what would you do? I mean, from what I've seen from the, uh, you know, the draft guys who have been kind of scouting him a little bit and putting out what they – what they see from him. They said he has great hands. And of course, like you said, the speed and quickness, he is like kind of a little bit undersized though. He's only six foot. And they kind of got me thinking, you know, Terry's not very big. Kelvin's not very big. You know, you almost might want to target a bigger receiver in this draft just because, you know, you never know when you need to throw back shoulder fade and the, on the five yard line, you know, that, that big corner is always somebody good to have, especially when you don't have a go-to tight end at the moment. Um, they also said he has a small catch radius, which kind of, you know, kind of threw up a red flag to me too you know I know Dwayne we've all talked about his accuracy and everything and you know we've seen Terry make a one-hand catch and Kelvin Harmon make a one-hand catch you know they needed that they had to have that in order to make the catch at all um but I mean shoot we saw KJ make that one-handed catch at the senior bowl so that almost makes me kind of question my resources a little bit I mean if anything Um, Terry's one of those situations where it makes you kind of question what the Kuipers are saying, you know, what all these so-called, you know, professionals have to say about where these guys are taken. I mean, I actually saw recently where they uh, released Patrick Mahomes' uh, pre-draft, you know, scouting report, and it was absolutely ripping him apart. And pretty much everything that he's honed and perfected in the, you know, in the pros, they pretty much said it was his weakest point when he was in college. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember watching uh, just before the draft, uh, the drafts he was taking, I watched one of those – Gruden quarterback camp back when Gruden was doing nothing with his life um, <laughs> as a TV analyst. But uh, they had him on, on Gruden's camp, and Gruden literally told him, he was like, man, you got a lot of stuff to work on. And he pinpointed every negative thing about him. And I had no faith in him. I was like, he's going to fall far in the draft. He'll never you know, amount to anything. And then when we got Alex in the trade, I was like, man, that leaves Patty Mahomes, and he's not the answer. And damn if he didn't prove me and everyone else wrong because he – 
has been the GOAT for the last two seasons. Yeah, man. I mean, if they can bring KJ in and get him on the program and, and, and you know, I, whatever makes Haskins comfortable at this point is really what I, I'm most concerned with and, and really what I want for the team. I mean, he, he tweeted last offseason during the draft that he wanted the Skins either pick up Terry, Paris Campbell, or any of those OSU guys. They went and got one of them, and, and you know, it paid dividends, you know. For him to bring in somebody that he's got chemistry with, maybe he hasn't played with them in a while, sure, but to bring in somebody that he has some familiarity with definitely isn't going to hurt him at all. Yeah, I think that could be huge, too, going into his second year. You already saw the connection he had with Terry, you know, through the 2019 season. And I think he does falter a little bit on the comfortability stuff. You can see him kind of get a little hectic and stuff. So any way possible to make Dwayne feel comfortable, I think, is a route you need to take. And and I'm not saying go get a scrub, but K.J. Hill is no scrub. And I really think you're going to see his draft stock rise the closer we get to draft time because of what he did at the the senior bowl and what he's going to do in the combine and, and the stuff you're going to see, you know, everything comes out between now and April and you're going to, I think his, his draft stock is really going to, you know, go to the roof. And I even saw in a few places, they were comparing him to the next Julian Edelman. So, I mean, if that's not, you know, a shout out, I don't know what is. I mean, yeah, I mean, but my biggest thing is, and I feel like it's something that everybody needs to think about is if we're taking Chase Young at two, you know, we, we don't have a second round pick. So all of those really highly coveted guys like, you know, your CD Lambs, your Jerry Judy's, you know, those guys are going to be off the board by the time we pick in round three unless we make a, a like a blockbuster trade to move up. So, I mean, I feel like we need to be we need to start looking at those guys in the third and fourth round that we can kind of steal and, you know, get some diamonds in the rough and, and just try to make best of what we have. I, I do agree at some point we're going to have to go out and spend some big money or some huge draft capital and, and you know, get a superstar for Dwayne, but at the same time, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, making the best of, and maximizing every situation we can to get as much talent around him as possible, even if it's not, you know, the sexiest pick. Yeah, and I also don't know if that's really a concern you want to focus on right now on going to get the sexy pick or going, you know, the big free agency, you know, move the big the big draft move, uh, move because we got a new coaching staff. Like, you don't know – Redskins fans and the NFL have not seen what these players can do in the right system. Who, I mean, who truly knows that Rivera doesn't come in here, Jack Del Rio, they don't come in here. And someone completely, like, we don't know of right now, just absolutely shines, comes out the woodworks. I mean, Kelvin Harmon could be the next Julio Jones. You, you just don't know. I mean, they called him baby Julio and camp, and, I mean, I feel like he built a really good relationship with Dwayne at the end of the year. I mean, he wasn't making just circus catches, but he was there when Dwayne needed him every single time. I Honestly, you're going to hear a lot of people show a lot of concern about the wide receiver room, but I'm not one of those people. I, like I said, you and me are both big fans of Kelvin. Everybody knows how good Terry McLaurin is, except for the NFL, apparently. Um, Steve Sims, you know, came out, balled out. He showed he's our bona fide slot guy. So, I mean, I feel like our wide receiver room is a lot better than it was coming into this season. And I, it's just not as high my priority list it is on other people's. No, it's, it's not, man. And, and I don't think it should be because – you know, these guys are all young and not even young. Like, they're true rookies going into their second season. Like, that's about as young as you can get. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. the amount of, you know, the stat line they put up in a rookie season, like, I don't know if you need to really attack that position right now. Like, see what they got. See what Rivera can do with them. Yeah. I don't think it's really time to shoot anyone down, any position down, with a new coaching staff coming in. I don't think you need to hit free agency hard until you – I mean, obviously, like, tight end position, that's just – a necessity at this point but... we'll, we'll get to that eventually yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um you know speaking of Terry McLaurin you know at the NFL honors I it absolutely blew my blew my mind to find out that he received zero votes for offensive rookie of the year and it went to Kyler Murray um you know I I know Kyler had a good season um I know Josh Jacobs had a good season um I know there are plenty of people that definitely were more deserving of um rookie of the year other than Terry but I mean 
for Terry to come in on a three and thirteen team and with very you know sporadic quarterback play and put up the numbers that he did, I, I, for him to get zero votes from me is almost borderline disrespectful. Yes, for uh, for those of you who don't remember, Terry McLaurin this year played fourteen games. He had nearly sixty receptions for. 920 yards. Would have hit a, would have had a thousand for sure had he played that last game of the year. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, he was he was on his way to make a thousand. He was he was going to break that mark if uh, if it wouldn't have been for the injury. Um, I think what you said at the very beginning really sums up the entire reason he didn't get any votes, and that's the three and thirteen record. Yeah, and, and, and to me, you know, since we're on the topic of the honors, I, another guy that I feel like I just got absolutely cheated was Christian McCaffrey. I mean. They made up some BS award just to give him that, just so they could, you know, I guess give the awards to the other people they wanted to give them to. I mean, just, I don't know, man. I think McCaffrey had the best season a running back's had in a long time, and for him to not, you know, get Offensive Player of the Year to me was kind of mind-blowing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand that the the catch radius and just everything that Michael Thomas accomplished this year was absolutely amazing. But at the same time, what Christian McCaffrey did was almost unfathomable, especially yeah. on the team he did it on. Yeah, I think it was a tough position uh, for the voters just because, both of them did have great seasons, but I think the one thing you saw from Michael Thomas that you didn't necessarily see from Christian McCaffrey was just the consistency and not consistently, not consistency of coming out and having a good game every Sunday, but the fact that every game Michael Thomas was putting up crazy numbers. And even with Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Brees, it didn't matter. You know, if Taysom Hill went back there and took a snap, like he was putting up huge numbers Every well, week. I, and, and I know that for a fact because I had him in fantasy and traded him away, and he ended up beating me in fantasy in the championship game. Oh, that's so poetic. I, I got a, yeah, I got a little uh, bad taste in my mouth with Michael Thomas. But the thing with Chris McCaffrey is he kind of tapered off a little bit near the end of the season, and I, you know, accredit that not necessarily to his performance, but of his usage. And I, of course, Scott Turner was calling plays near the end of the season, which worries me a little bit with that whole story but you know we've been over that so but yeah, yeah. I think I mean he had a fantastic year but I don't think it was Michael Thomas level no and, and I agree that you know for him to lead the league in catches by like a 30 some catch margin is absolutely insane and he was consistent but you know it, it just I, I I just feel bad for Christian man I mean he, he can catch he can run he can do everything you ask him to do and he doesn't have a Drew Brees man he's got a, he, Cam Newton banged up the whole year he's in with Kyle Allen Will Greer so, I mean, I don't know. I Just for them to give Christian, what was it, like fantasy player of the year yeah, or something? Yeah, that's what it was. I mean, what, what, what the world was that? I, I just – I don't know. It just kind of threw me off guard. I, I knew he wasn't going to get it. I, I wasn't all that surprised, but I, I was hoping that they would come around and use their heads, but I guess I was wrong. But like you said, Michael Thomas had an absolutely amazing season, and if he continues to play that level, he's going to win that award more than once, that's for sure. Yeah, and I uh, – you know, going back to our main point about, you know, Terry, um, he, had a, he, did have a, he did have a great year. But, you know, and I don't think – I think Kyler Murray had a really good year too. I don't think really any of these, uh, you know, rookies this year offensively really busted out the woodwork and, like, that's the rookie of the year. You know, like, I don't think it was any of them. And, and the fact with Terry is, you know, there were some games where he didn't have a one or two catches and, you know, no touchdowns. And, but then he went on stretches too. So, the fact that the ball was in Kyler's hand every down, every play, and he was, you know, on the TV, you know, you know man in the huddle – you know, he was always on – his face was always on TV, and he always was touching the ball. I think that's it's, – it's hard. You know, it's a quarterback world. It's a quarterback league, and I think it's just 
when when all else fails, go with the quarterback. You know. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's what's frustrating to me is that you know statistically he didn't really have that great of a year. He didn't even have four thousand passing yards. He had twenty touchdowns, twelve picks, which I mean isn't bad. But like you said, I mean he's a former he's a former uh, Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall pick. So eyes are always on him. And at this point, it's basically just a glorified quarterback award. So I can understand why Terry didn't win. I didn't expect Terry to win it, just like I didn't expect Christian to win. But at the same time, just you look at their body of work and you look at what's going on around them, and you just kind of wonder why they didn't get a little bit more consideration for those you know prizes than they did. But um, yeah, I mean, with, you know, in, uh, in 2012, 2013, I mean, RG3 practically ran away with it. Like, oh, absolutely. He, that was his award the whole way, you know, and I don't think any, any um, player this year really ran away with it. I mean, especially Terry. I, I think zero votes is a bit of a, you know, a gut check to saying like, you know, we thought this man was the next coming of Jesus and the NFL doesn't give him a single vote for rookie of the year when Kyler Murray wins it. I think that's kind of, you know, a little bit of disrespect towards him, but I hope it like, you know, maybe drives some motivation and, and really propels him into next season. I would love to see, you know, you know, maybe Terry makes a running that, you know, offensive player of the year for next year. You know, you never I, know I what type of motivation like he's capable of it. And I feel like he's going to take it on the chin. He's going to be humble. And I think he's going to come back better than ever next year. I think he'll definitely hit over a thousand next year for sure. So, but speaking of being humble, um, one Redskins player did have a big night at the NFL honors. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, Chris. Yeah, man. Adrian Peterson, no surprise whatsoever. Obviously he's, He's such a great guy to talk to, and you know, you see him talking to the media, and he's just, he's just the most humble guy, for, especially for the accolades he has on his name. Um, but he won the the sportsmanship award uh, at the NFL Honors tonight, and uh, they played a clip, and I had no idea about this, had no idea this had happened. But they played a clip, um, and it was an interview, it was a sit down with Darius Geis, and uh, according to Geis, on his first touchdown uh, carry as a Redskin. It was actually the play call for AP. And Peterson came out the game and grabbed Geis and said, get in there and you better get it in the, better get it in the end zone. Geis oh my ran God. out on the field. I did not see that. <laughs> yeah, Geis ran out on the field. And, of course, one-yard rush. He barreled through the end zone, came out and dapped up AP. And um, Geis asked him, he said, you know, why would you do that? And AP said, you know, this is the end of my era and the beginning of the yours. Let's get it started. I mean, that's and, just a... Man, it was like, it was chills, man. Like, just that one little clip just gave me chills. I was like, wow. Like, that that's huge. And, I mean, and, and AP does it in more ways than one. You see him, you know, post-game, we get blown out by 30, and he goes up to their starting running back, and he, you know, you know, you don't hear the audio, but you know he's giving them tips. You know, he's, you know, he's telling them great game. And I don't think there's a more class act, more class act, not just this past season, but in a career span than Adrian Peterson. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, he's a, he's had off the field issues, you know, he's kind of bounced around from team to team and then he finally found a home with us. But, you know, I, since day one, man, it, when I saw him at training camp, he made sure he signed everything that was put in front of him. He took all the pictures, you know, he kissed all the babies, he did everything he was supposed to do and he and never seemed fraudulent, you know, Redskins media loves him, man. I mean, he answers all the questions, you know, within reason, you know, he, he's not out there, you know, spoiling any locker room secrets, but you know, he's, he's always available to the media, always available to everybody. And, you know, he's a true professional and I'm really glad to see him win an award like that. And I'm I'm just glad for him to get some recognition because, you know, some people say that he kind of had a huge resurgence, you know. I mean, he's not breaking the league down, you know, with us, but uh, he definitely came in and kind of revitalized his career a little bit. And it's good to see him finally get some recognition for the, him being the kind of stand-up guy he is. Yeah, especially after, you know, like the whole, you know, uh, not dressing out week one, you know, uh, on Jay's decision. You know, he, I think he was a little pissed off and, and you could see that, but I still think he took it right on the chin like you said and he um 
I don't think he took any of it towards guys. Like, I think they have one of the most tight-knit, like, duo running back. Relationships. Yeah, relationship in the NFL. I mean, you know, you saw Alvin Kamara and uh, Mark Ingram tear it up, you know, a season ago. And then, you know, that offseason, Mark Ingram goes to Baltimore. So, like, didn't seem like that really. Like, there was some stuff closed curtain that we didn't know about, maybe a little bit of – you know, uh, hard feelings about, you know, splitting the role. But AP, man, he it, – it's great to see him, you know, raising up guys like a little brother and, and wanting to see him succeed and wanting him to get those touchdowns. And, and you know, I, I, I hate to cut you off, but I think the biggest thing with that is is that, you know, he knows how guys feels. You know, he's torn his ACL. He's been injured before. He knows what it's like to rehab. He knows what it's like to come back from that. And I think he feels for guys, and, you know, he, he has a very tiny relationship with him. And, you know, they're trying to form that beast duo in the backfield. And, you know, to, with that, you need to build, a you know, a form of camaraderie with each other and be familiar with each other and be good teammates. And I feel like AP has been a great mentor for guys, and I, I feel like it's been a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I mean, he was crazy how he kind of fell into Washington, you know, when we when we lost guys spread for his rookie year. And, you know, we had a few guys work out and they, they picked up AP. It was just it's crazy the impact he's had on this organization. You talk about how poor the culture was. The only strand of culture we had was in Adrian Peterson. Yeah. I and mean, it was just crazy that we picked him up because guys got hurt and the relationship they've built and probably how much better AP has made guys. It's it's just you know it's phenomenal. It, it there's not many positives you can take away from you know Redskins news, but that's that's one of them. He's that's probably really the only news. constant we've had over the last couple seasons, and you know he's been really the one of the only you know pieces left near the end of these injury riddled seasons that was still in the field and making plays. And you know, speaking of veteran leadership, um, there's a there's a big name that might be reportedly joining the Redskins here in the near future. Uh, nothing confirmed yet, but as we reported earlier in, earlier in the week. Um, Greg Olson and the Carolina Panthers uh, reportedly agreed to mutually part ways. And Greg Olson's reportedly told people close to him that uh, he's open to joining the Redskins. Um, yeah. It, for those of you who aren't familiar with Greg Olson, um, he's an all pro tight end, played with the Carolina Panthers under Coach Rivera his entire career. Um, he, he, he's definitely on the, you know, older side of the stick and, you know, but he's definitely been one of the constants to Carolina on offense. He's been an elite tight end in the NFL in multiple points. You know, last year he had around 52 catches, 600 yards, a couple touchdowns in 14 games. So he misses a couple games here and there due to injury like most tight ends do. But he can definitely still play at an elite level in the NFL. And, you know, with us having question marks at tight end like Vernon Davis and Jordan Reed still in the roster, adding a huge veteran leadership, just a, just a blockbuster name like that on the offense and having some, of a, some sort of a constant tight end would definitely be huge, you know. Yeah, I uh I got a, a few points to make about that. Uh, number one, um, a lot of people, you know, they saw the headline come out about, you know, Greg Olson is open to coming to the Redskins, and you know, while that might be true, I think we're putting a little too a, a little too much into that. I think, I think the question I brought up to him: Would you want to, you know, uh, join Ron Rivera again? And I think he kind of broadly said he would be open to playing in the NFL again. I think people kind of hinge that together to where they can see him in Washington. Yeah, I mean, but the big talking point with that is is that, you know, like I just said, Vernon Davis, you know, probably about to retire. Jordan Reed can't stay on the field. You know, also might have to possibly retire. And, you know, if, if we can get Olsen on a team-friendly deal and Rivera can talk sweet to him and get him on our team, man, he would definitely be a somebody that Dwayne could probably get really comfortable throwing to and be somebody that we can actually rely on in the tight end position and probably one less pick we got to use in April to rebuild the team. But like yeah, I said, mean, I agree we probably did read a little bit too much into it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's it's no doubt. It's absolutely no doubt that we need a tight end. We're in dire need of a tight end. And if we don't get one, we're going to have to be running sets out there with no tight ends because that, that's all we have. We don't have anybody. Now, Jeremy, Jeremy Sprinkle is not the future. I, I, I don't I, know I, why he's still on the roster. Yeah, um, but, you know, I, I know this is a football podcast, but I'm going to, you know, merge it over to baseball a little bit. I follow the baseball a bit, and, and the, what the Braves have done, the Atlanta Braves over the past few seasons has been has been crazy. And what they did was – they loaded up their farm teams, their minor league teams, with young talent and signed a bunch of old guys, kind of like the Greg Olson, to their roster. And in two seasons, all those rookies, I mean, all those uh, you know, farm team guys came up after getting that experience with the veterans and really balled out. And I think that's what you see in Greg Olson. Now, you don't want to put a pretty price tag on that. And I know Greg Olson, you know, he could possibly – be looking at a, a hefty price that we might not want to pay. Um, but I think if you could get him, you could get a deal for him. I think he could give you that production and also be like a second coach out there on the field for a young, a young guy we might bring in in the draft, or maybe, you know, a four or five year guy that we might bring in uh, in free agency. So I think if, if anything else, if you're not looking for production out of Greg Olson, at least the mentor, mentorship, mentorship, like kind of like AP and guys. Yeah, exactly. To get perfect him, segue into that. Yeah, to get another um, tight end, you know, get get that error going, get him where he needs to be, and let that guy be a star for us. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I know I mentioned Doug Pedersen's book earlier. I finished it a couple of days ago. He actually talked about the 2017 season where they won the Super Bowl against the Patriots. That um, they all had both practice fields open, and um, the, you know, there were guys that were third, fourth string, and they were getting just as many reps as the stars. Maybe not with the stars, but they were still practicing all the normal plays. And then when everybody went down, you know, they had those players that plug in, and you know, they didn't miss a beat. So having those guys be able to come in and, and immediately be contributors is a big deal. And you know, I agree wholeheartedly that having Olsen on the team would be amazing. But like I said, I'm I'm just kind of scared of what kind of salary he would accrue or ask for from the team. And you know, I almost don't want get I don't want Dwayne Haskins to get too comfortable showing him because we really don't know how long he's going to play in the league and. He's had a lot of nagging injuries with his foot, and I really don't know, you know, how far away or where he is on the path of recovery with that. Yeah, and um, I've seen a lot on Twitter, a lot of buzz on Twitter about, you know, the injury-prone Greg Olson, and we don't need a second, you know, Vernon Davis. And that's completely, that's completely plausible. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And he is getting up in age, and, you know, he's missed 18 games over the last three seasons. So you could, you know, consider this a trend, but – Greg Olson also for like the past 10 seasons or something before that had played all 16 games. So he is a, he is a tough dude. He is an iron man. You know, it is, it is kind of complicated seeing those numbers in the last three seasons, those lagging injuries and you hope they don't carry over into a new season if we were to go out and get him. But I don't, I don't think he's injury prone. I think he's I had either. a tough couple of seasons. I mean, so I, I kind of want to put that issue to bed. I'm not saying he comes to D.C. and doesn't get hurt week one. Yeah, because yeah injuries, exactly. <laughs> injuries happen, and especially with our reputation, he probably would. He'd get hurt on the first snap of the first preseason game. Uh, you could totally see that happen. But I don't think Greg Olson is your injury-prone Jordan Reed. I mean, Jordan Reed no. is purely injury-prone. I, I don't think that's Greg Olson. No, no, not at all. And I, The only reason I've kind of entertained the situation and I feel like if it was going to happen, it would be the best possible situation for it to happen to us. Like I said, he's got that – you know, he's very comfortable with Rivera. He knows Rivera. Rivera knows him. And I feel like, you know, he'd be comfortable coming over here and being with somebody that he's, you know, he has some familiarity with. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't really know how much he's going to stay on the field. I don't think he's injury prone. I mean, 
you know, playing tight in the NFL, man, takes a, is just huge wear and tear on your body. I mean, look at Rob Gronkowski. You know, he's spiking Legos on New Year's Eve, getting trash, putting all these funny things on social media. But when they talked to him about, you know, his football career coming to an end, you know, he really talked about how much punishment his body went through during his career and how it, you know, took away his quality of life. And, you know, you can you, you kind of have to assume that it's the same way for every single tight end, you know, especially like Greg Olson, who was Cam Newton's number one target in Carolina for the longest time. Like you said, there was – a huge like string of years where he was just a problem. You know, he was a top five tight end, no doubt, you know, but he said he's had some bad luck the next couple of years. And like you said, our luck, he'd come over here and get her first play, but I'm definitely open. Like he reportedly is to the idea of him coming over. And, you know, I guess we'll just see what, what will happen. You know, we're not going to really know anything until, you know, around March, you know, when free agency starts, but it's definitely something that, you know, you can kick around and talk about for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not bought, I'm not bought on the idea, but, I would not in any way, shape, or form be upset if it happened. No, me neither. And I also feel like you said, just that that you know, locker room leadership really is is what where he brings the most value. So absolutely. Speaking of locker room leaders, um, Alex Smith did a uh, recent interview with ESPN where he kind of dis- discussed some of the disturbing details about his injury he suffered two seasons ago. Um, he was reportedly lucky to be alive after the way everything went. Um, he apparently developed um, sepsis, um, where your body is basically fighting the infection of blood or there's an infection in your blood of some sort. I'm no doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm just kind of reading what I see. Um, but he was sedated and didn't really remember much of anything for a few weeks when, once he got infected. And um, he honestly said that he got to the point where he was coming to the decision of, you know, either salvaging his limb or amputating it. And, you know, a dozen seasons later and 13 months of rehabbing is where he's at now. And, you know, he just says he's, he's extremely grateful to be where he is. And I'm very happy to hear that. I will say that it scares me a lot more than it gives me any, you know, reassurance because, you know, you had Rivera, I think it was either on first take or undisputed this week, was talking about Haskins and how him and Smith is going to be a quarterback competition. How much of that would you say is him saying it because he has to or how much of him is him saying it's going to be a competition because, you know, it's actually going to be a competition? I think everyone in that building knows Dwayne is the starter. Um, I think he wants to keep his options open to show that he's no pushover and he's not just going to succumb to what, you know, Daniel Snyder wants. Uh, like like previous coaches have done. Um, I think it's a push for Dwayne. I think it's a, a motivation piece for Dwayne. But I also don't think he's lying either. I don't think this is just complete, you know, BS coming out. If, if Alex Smith is healthy and he comes out there and performs in OTAs and performs in, you know, training camp better than Dwayne, I don't – I think it's a small percentage. I would give it a 10% chance. I feel like, you know, we're going to sit here and be realist about the Olsen situation, man. We got to be realist about this situation, too. I mean, you know, his wife's posting videos of him working out. You know, he looks like he's in good spirits and looks like he's working hard. looks like he wants to get back on the field. But, like, at what point do you just kind of, you know, start worrying about every hit he takes and start worrying about his well-being in general? Because, I mean, if that happens, it's like, again, I mean, he's not keeping it. I mean, I hate to be morbid, but it's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, it's scary for sure. And I think it's just so crazy that this kind of got – buried underneath everything else going on in the NFL because like we're so concerned about you know concussions and CTE like we should be but who knew a broken leg could turn into a possibly like life-threatening injury and we didn't find out that it was life-threatening until you know a month removed from the actual you know the the hit the game yeah um it, it's a, what are we like 14 15 months now removed from yeah from that game yeah, and you I know, was actually at that game it was it was horrifying <laughs> Yeah, and I mean same just, yard line, same day, everything is Joe Theismann as well. That yeah, I mean that's insane, you know, on its own. But you know, th- everything I'm saying about 
it, it is a competition. It could be a competition. Is all with the mentality that he would be ready, which is what Rivera and even Alex are kind of hinting at. I don't know if that's the case. It, it's hard for me to believe that he could go through a life, you know, threatening leg injury and be on the field in another year and a half. Like, I, mean, I, I think that is is really, truly pushing it. And especially at his age, I don't know how he doesn't just hang him up. But I think if, you know, if the reports are that he's healthy, he's ready to go, he's 100%, 110%, I think you could have a quarterback competition on your hands. I mean, I feel like at, at full health, you know, Alex Smith is definitely a better starter than Dwayne is right now. And that's not a shot at Dwayne. I love Dwayne. I got his jersey. I've been standing him since OSU. But at the same time, you know, what Alex Smith brought to the table with that 6-3 and three start in 2018, I mean, he – he showed that he could lead the team and he could be that guy we needed him to be. And, you know, like I said, a freak accident happens and it puts him off the field for so long that the team had to move forward without him. And I understand that that's discouraging him. But, you know, at the same time, you know, like you said, he's getting older. He should kind of start realizing that, you know, sometimes in life you don't get to do everything on your terms. And there are some things that are just out of your control. And I feel like this might be one of them. And, you know, one situation that I compare this to is the Ryan Shazier situation. You know, I mean, he should just be glad that he can even walk at this point. I don't think he should be worried about playing football. To me, the quality of your life is way more significant than, you know, playing a game. And I understand that he loves the game and he's dedicated his life and his professional career to the game. But at the same time, you know, you want to be able to play in the backyard with your kids. You want to be able to, you know, have a normal life and, you know, just, you know, not have that burden on you and, you know, be there for your kids. And I don't think he wants to be an amputee. You know, he, he almost didn't have a chance to make that decision, but, you know, God gave him that chance. And hey, I'm not saying he's not grateful for it, but, you know, I just think he should take as much precaution as humanly possible. I mean, the team's basically moved on without him, and I understand they got to treat it like a competition. And a lot of that's Rivera, you know, just trying to humble Dwayne and show that. But I feel like realistically the team already knows it's Dwayne's job and it's Dwayne's organization. And just what happened with Alex Smith is really hard. I mean, it's not like Alex Smith is, you know, that it, this hurts him. You know, I mean, yeah, he doesn't get to play anymore, but, I mean, the rest of his contract is pretty much guaranteed money. You know, if he wants to step back and be in front yeah, but- of the office, you know, that'd be awesome as well. But, you know, he said you can't be a starting quarterback and play at the same exact time. I just – I don't know, man. I, I, I'm really glad he's in good spirits now. And I'm glad he's doing better, but at the same time, it would take a lot for me to want to see him back out on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think every outsider, every fan understands your positioning on, you know, you'd rather have your livelihood than, you know, another season of football. I totally get that. And from an outsider's perspective, that makes total sense. But I, as well as you know, of, you know, when we played high school ball together, we had a couple seniors that went down. You know, with you know, torn ACL, season ending, yes, yeah, season ending injuries, are which are pretty much career ending injuries where we're from, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, yeah, I mean, you know, like they would give up a lot to play one more down of football, to to not go out that way, and I think that could possibly be a factor in this. You know, it doesn't make much sense to us because you almost died, but you're not dead, and you still have your leg, and you're still able to play football. Yeah. So, do you want? to go out the right way, kind of on your terms, or do you want to end it with a gruesome injury as he went through? So I, I think that could be playing a role too. The fact that it hasn't come out that he is retiring leads me to believe that he's, it's still a balancing act in his head right now. And he's not giving up oh, yeah, he's... as much as maybe as much sense as it might make for him to give up on it, to retire. 
I don't think he's. I don't think that's what he's looking no, at. No, he's right not. Now. He's he's dead serious about coming back, just like Shazier, just like a lot of these people that are you know foreign players that got hurt are, are, are really serious about coming back. But I mean, another guy this happened to it didn't get as serious as Alex's, but was Zach Miller, Chicago Bears tight end, a couple seasons ago, snapped his leg against Detroit Lions in the back of the end zone. They took him to the hospital. Told me he was probably going to lose his leg. I mean, it didn't get as bad as it did with Alex, but like I said, it was it was also a really severe situation where he thought he was going to lose a limb. So, and you don't see Zach Miller playing football nowadays, you know? Yeah, I just I don't think I think uh, it's a tough decision for any you know, professional athlete or not even professional college yeah, athlete, passionate high school about, athlete. So. It, it, it's hard for you to, to walk away from the game that you love anyways. And to go out on those terms, you know, you, you know, you're, when you set your retirement date, you have a countdown clock, you know, you can prepare yourself. You know, I know Alex wants to play one more down one more season. And I think all professional athletes would like to go out the way, that they want yeah. to, and not, and not to be taken. It was out such by a freak accident, though, man. Like it's just so, it's so beyond his control. And like to me, you know, I know he never won a Super Bowl, or he's never going to win a Super Bowl. Some will say, but I mean, you know, I feel like he's got nothing else left to prove. I mean, he was a great starter with the 49ers, You know, kind of got screwed out of his job by Kaepernick. He played really good for the Chiefs. That team just kind of hit their ceiling a couple times. You know, I I feel like Alex Smith's proved to everyone that he's a great professional, you know, quarterback. And I don't feel like he has to prove oh, yeah. to anybody. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone doubts that. I think everyone has, you know, a much respect for him. And But I don't think that's what it's about. I don't think he would be coming back to prove anything. I don't think he'd be coming back for money. I don't think he'd be coming back for a Super Bowl. I think like the a only way you see Alex Smith back on the field is for him to go out the way that he wants to go out. Yeah. And I respect that, and I hate to end the pod on a super somber note, but, you know, it's definitely a conversation that, you know, debate among the Redskins fans. So, But just want to take a moment, me and Chris, want to thank everybody for the feedback after the first episode. Uh, you guys have been really interacting with us on the page, and we really appreciate that. Um, we plan to continue doing that, and uh, you know, we'll use a lot of your feedback for future podcasts. And, you know, we're excited to keep growing, man. We just hit 200 followers on Twitter, and, you know, we're just really excited to see where all this goes. Um. If you want to find us on Twitter, guys, you can find us at capital underscore hell pod. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Parker Hamlin on Instagram at, at Parker Hamlin as well. Um, Chris, where can they find you at? Um, you get you get me at underscore just dot Chris. And then it's like two more underscores. I am I'm not 100% sure, but we'll definitely tweet it out in case y'all want to follow us for sure. Um, I just want to say, guys, I am so thankful that y'all are listening. Uh, it really means the world to us to, to see y'all reach out to us. and um, I had a lot of a lot of tweets I looked at, you know, over the last week and a half where just really made me feel good, you know, people listening, people reaching out. And I just encourage y'all to to keep on, you know, reach out to us. I I don't mind constructive criticism if y'all want to hear us talk about something else, if you wanna hear us go another direction in something. Um, you're not gonna make me change my opinion on air. I mean that I'm giving you what I feel, but um I can definitely work on some things if y'all need us to but definitely uh reach out to us and just let let us know yeah man any feedback feedback, any conversations good conversation man we're we're always looking at the page trying to keep you guys updated as much as humanly possible but in regards to finding the capitol hill podcast you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify pocket cast radio public google podcasts breaker and you know anchor as well um so everybody enjoy super bowl sunday um i'm going with the niners i think uh chris has got the chiefs so uh everybody have a good night man we'll catch you guys soon peace Oh,